So today I'm giving the final talk in our mini-series of being in Christ. And uh, yeah, we really wanted to start off this new academic year with focusing on Jesus. Um, We're going to look at John's Gospel, chapter 15. And it's all about Jesus being the true vine. And this is the last of the I am statements that we see in John's Gospel. And John tries to answer the question of who is Jesus? Lots of different ways, lots of pictures... Um, And this is one really beautiful picture. Uh, So chapter 15, we're sort of jumping straight in there, but it flows out of some themes in the the earlier couple of chapters as well, about um, where Jesus is with his disciples, um, praying with them, speaking to them, um, sharing his heart with them, really. And in chapter 13, he's eating with them, and before that, he stops to wash their feet, which completely just blows their mind that he would do that for them. And he commands them to love each other as I have loved you. He teaches them to pray, and he promises the Holy Spirit to them. And these are all things that come up again in chapter 15. So today's passage is about how Jesus is the vine and how he wants us to relate to him and to others It's really rich. There's quite a lot in there. We're going to get stuck in um, and take a closer look um, and meditate on it. Let the goodness of it get into your heart. Um, We're going to soak in it this morning um, and let it do us good. So I'm going to read it out in full now. And I think, yeah, I think it will come up on the slides as well. And then we'll go through again more slowly. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, 
that you will love one another. Great, so going back to verses 1 and 2, um, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser or gardener. Every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. There's a lot in these two verses already, but that set the scene for the whole of the chapter. So who's who, as a sort of connecting with this image? Well, the idea of a vineyard in the Bible is often talking about Israel, but in this passage, it's specifically talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the vine, and Father God is the gardener. He's caring for the branches to make them more fruitful. And the branches represent those who are followers of Jesus. And there's a clear contrast here between the fruitful and the unfruitful branches. But what kind of fruit is this passage talking about? Well, spiritually, there isn't just one kind of fruit. And the passage itself mentions lots of different ones. It talks about answered prayers and the experience of Jesus' joy and love for one another. So it's not just about witness to the world or seeing other people come to know Jesus. It's a really broad picture of a fruitful life. And elsewhere, we, we know that in Galatians 5, it talks about spiritual fruit, including love and joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the key thing is that the fruit here is not just about doing more or more activity. It's characterized by God's life and his love within us. So what does pruning look like? Um, I don't feel very qualified to talk about pruning because I very rarely do this. Um, but the, in vineyards, a gardener would come and prune and cut off and clear away the dead and the unfruitful branches um, to give more space for the fruit to grow. And the, they need that light in order to get the best possible flavour and have space. And so a gardener would also cut back the fruitful branches to make sure that they've got space to grow as well. So no branch is exempt. They all get pruned. And if we're in the vine, connected to Jesus, there are times when we'll experience that pruning as well. So last summer I attempted to prune a hedge in front of my house because um, I thought it was getting a little bit out of hand. I should, I should at least try. Um, so I found some old scissors in the shed that I think my parents had left. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, and I think I was there for, for maybe about three minutes before some curtains switched and one of my neighbours came out and said, would you, would you like to borrow these? I said, yes. Um, and then... He basically took over and, and did it, and we just chatted while he did it. And he said, oh, you could maybe, like, I did one side with my shears, he did the other side, and said, I just tied up that side. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. I was happy for all the help that I could get. Um, but um, Father God, as the best gardener, knows exactly what he's doing. And so in our lives, if he's pruning us, he knows absolutely what he's doing, and we can trust him. He'll roll up his sleeves and he'll get to work, but he'll do it with incredible care and gentleness and strength when it's needed, but he knows what he's doing. It looks a bit different for each of us when God comes to do that, and it's often him getting our attention back on him. And he might use situations um, or circumstances in a way that strengthens us and strengthens our character and faith. 
it's not always easy for us to accept that God is getting involved in our lives like that because um, we like to think that we're in control. And some of us, me included, can be very goal-driven at times or activity-oriented and want to be on the go all the time, filling the diary, seeing results, getting stuff done. Um, and even if our attentions are good, it can quite easily slip into striving or just trying to make stuff happen in our own strength. Um, so one experience of a, kind of a season or, or a time that I had of being pruned was when I went to live um, with my sister for the year in Australia, which sounds, I know, very lovely. Um, but it was a really strange time in that up to that point, I'd been in Oxford for seven years, university for three years, and then four years of a bit of work, being an intern here, um, getting involved in lots of different things. Um, and then to suddenly move across the other side of the world, not have a job, no plan, not really any, any money, um, was quite unsettling. Um, but it really pushed me into God in an amazing way through that year. Um, especially when people ask you, well, what are you doing? Like, don't, don't know, not sure yet. Um, it's quite humbling. And, but I know that in that time, God really drew me deeper um, into knowing that my identity was in him and not what I was doing. And uh, yeah, it shaped me, I know, in a way that probably wouldn't have happened if I'd stayed in Oxford um, in that year. And then in God's plans, he brought me back anyway. So, so, yeah. And so maybe you've seen this in your spiritual journey already, that there are different seasons in our walk with God. And there are seasons for bearing much fruit, seasons for preparation, for fruitfulness, for putting down some deep roots, and seasons of pruning. And all these seasons are important for fruit to be able to grow we don't always realise when the seasons are changing and that God is preparing us for something new. For some of you today, you're starting a really obvious next season. You've moved location, new job, maybe starting uni, a new year. Um, sometimes it's not as clear-cut as that, but God is on the move. But whatever it is, God has purpose for you. And fruitfulness is his purpose for you. In every way, there's blessing and fruitfulness that God has for you. What season in life are you in? What season in God are you in? Maybe go for a walk. Maybe go, go to Harker or Breetham, go to, go to the woods, kick some leaves, and just chat to God and say, show me, God, what, what is it that I'm, that's going on here? What do you want me to see about you in this next season? Because he'll show you. And you can also talk to those who know you well as well, to the people around you. Sometimes they can see it before you do, and it can help us just recognise um, what God's doing. So, moving on to verses 3 to 5. It's all about abiding in God. Um, it's this mutual indwelling that Jesus invites us to, where um, he asks us to abide in him and he in us. Um, God remains in us, he abides in us and among us through his spirit um, and makes his presence known among us. And we remain in him by obeying his commands and through having fellowship with him. And this abiding is the absolute key to fruitfulness. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that doesn't mean sort of literally nothing, um, but it means nothing of real or eternal value. And this definitely challenges our desire for independence or believing that we're self-sufficient. Um, and it challenges maybe where we put value on our achievements or, or purpose in life. It's a different definition. 
and abiding in Jesus, we can't get away from the fact that it takes time. Um, it needs us to be unrushed and unhurried. Um, I'm guilty of often saying, oh, I'm really busy, crazy busy, too busy, really busy. Um, maybe, I don't know if that's the same for you, but it's a challenge to me just to say, well, well why? Why? Is it really the circumstances or is it something in my heart? I think we can have a restlessness in our souls and not always realise that it's, it's, it's our desire for God um, and look for it in other things. And then even when we do slow down, we come to the crash, physically exhausted and we're physically still, our hearts can still be restless. We've still got enough energy to flick, through, flick on your phone um, and our hearts don't stop either. Um, so this passage is just a challenge to say, just come and rest. Come and abide in Jesus. And so what does remaining in Jesus look like? Well, he invites us to a relationship that's just characterized by trust, by joy, prayer, and obedience to him. It's a closeness, an intimacy, where you can let your guard down with Jesus and um, you don't have to hide. He sees it all anyway. And it's a challenge here because it, it makes us have to think, oh, I really do need God. And when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, it, it makes us face that reality that actually, yes, I do need him. Um, where's it gone? Okay. This, um, so this, sometimes when I like to hang out with God, um, I just like to do something artistic or paint. So this, I know it's a bit difficult to see, but this is supposed to be a wood with a path um, running through the trees. And the verse on it says, I run in the path of your command, for you have set my heart free. And it's uh, from Psalm 119. I run in the path of your command, for you have set my heart free. And I remember painting this in the time of um, just hanging out with God. when I, it, was, it was a time of pruning. When I felt God say, just trust me, keep obeying me, keep running after me, um, no matter what because I have set your heart free. There is a real freedom in obedience and abiding in God. So, yeah, whatever God has said, be open to whatever God is saying to you in the season that you're in, because he means it for good. He means it for fruitfulness. Um, so moving on to verses 6 and 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So abiding in Jesus is also a key to answered prayer. So how it works is that if we abide in him, truly remain in him and hang out with him, we just get to know his heart. Like if you hang out with anyone long enough, you see the beauty of who they are and you see their heart. Um, And it means that when we pray, when we talk to him, that you can ask more in line with what his heart is, what his desire is, and that our prayers are more pleasing to him. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus really loves the Father, like really, really loves the Father, and he's all about bringing more glory to Father God. And he wants the whole world to know how amazing his Father is. And our fruitfulness flows out of being in Jesus. Um, And he loves that because our fruitfulness, which flows out of him, brings glory to Father God. And it's a a privilege for us as well to be able to be part of God's revelation to the world 
that as we deeply remain in him and his character is formed in us, that we reflect his character and everyone around sees more truly what God is like. Verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the first part of the passage was abiding in Jesus, and this takes it further, abiding in his love. Um, And three things are woven together here. Abiding, love, and obedience. So relationship, love, and obedience. Um, And it's Jesus' example to us. Jesus abides in love and obedience to the Father. So he's asking us and saying, I'll help you do what I'm already doing. He's not asking us to do anything more than that. And out of our love for God, which grows, it leads to a love for Jesus and and just leads to a really joyful obedience to him. It it just flows. It flows out of that relationship that he's inviting us into and he changes our hearts. Verse 11 is a beautiful verse. It says, These things I've spoken to you, that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy. So Jesus knows us well um, and he knows that we have some rebellious hearts. Um, We're not always convinced that obedience is going to be that much fun. So he just underlines it in this verse and says, you better believe it, this is actually the way to true joy. Um, And truly joyful people are a delight to be around. They change the atmosphere of a room, they'll lift a conversation. Um, They're just contagiously amazing to be around. Um, And Jesus is like that. In fact, he is the most joyful person because he is joy. And he just, by putting joy here, he wants to show us that actually doing this is the way that we experience the fullness of joy and soul satisfaction in him because we taste something deeper and more soul satisfying than anything else. So wherever else you're looking for to satisfy your soul today or for peace. Look to Jesus. There's a real joy there for you. And Steve talked last week about being plunged fully into Christ, just like a bucket just being plunged into water. And there's a fullness there that God wants us to experience and that we can experience daily. Um, And uh, a bit later, as we go back into time of worship and experiencing the Holy Spirit, that's my prayer, that we would experience that fullness that God wants us to know. Um, Verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So obedience to Jesus means loving other people like he does. As he calls us to know and experience his great love, um, he just enables us to give in a way that we didn't think possible. He enlarges our hearts to have that capacity to give and to love. Um, So what does sacrificial love look like? Maybe listening, helping, um, encouraging, giving, going the extra mile for people, pouring out your heart to bless others. He's our example. What kind of love does Jesus show? Well, he's the king of all the universe. He stopped to wash his disciples' feet. He showed outrageous kindness and grace and love to all the people that he met. Um, and he's our friend. He met us at the cross. 
to pay the price for our sins. He's the ultimate demonstration of your good at my expense. As I have loved you. Verse 14. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. What an amazing privilege it is to be called a friend of God, to be chosen to be God's friends. Yes, he's in charge, absolutely. But we're not slaves, he's not telling us what to do, um, not, that's not the dynamic of it. Instead, he invites us into this Um, this close, joyful, adventurous friendship with him. And we can learn and know what he thinks, enjoy his confidence, um, and learn to obey his commands with a full understanding of what his heart is like. What's the most valuable thing that you have? Maybe it's not something physical. I was thinking that how precious and valuable it is are the relationships in our lives and to be able to have someone's trust, to have won someone's trust. Um, to have their confidence. And it's amazing that God chooses to share his heart with us and to trust us. Finally, verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He's chosen and appointed us for amazing purpose uh, and amazing fruitfulness. And we, don't even, we can't even get our heads around what that might look like. But God is amazing and he loves us so much that he wants us to experience his fullness in us. And so Jesus has these amazing plans for our lives. And it's not just about trying not to sin and being forgiven, but there's a fruitfulness in a really full way that God wants us to experience. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the true vine. He's our source of life and love. And let us welcome Father God as the gardener. He knows exactly what he's doing. Let's trust him in whatever season that we're in with him. Let's trust that he knows how to bring out the best fruit in our lives and that will do us good and bring him glory. Let's obey him with joyful hearts out of a place of enjoying relationship with him, enjoying the adventure um, and friendship with him.